0: Over four decades ago, medical device pioneers John Abley and Pete Nicholas co-founded Boston Scientific to get life-saving technologies into the hands of physicians. Today, thousands of Boston Scientific employees are continuing that mission. We'll begin to tell their stories here on the Boston Scientific Talks podcast. Everybody, this is Tom Salemi of Device Talks. Welcome back to the Boston Scientific Talks podcast. Our guests today are Catherine Unger. She is a Vice President of ESG, which of course stands for Environmental, Social, and Governance at Boston Scientific. We also spoke with Brad Sorensen. He's Executive Vice President of Global Operations. And together, we delved into how Boston Scientific is addressing ESG, how they're uh, using or how they're applying ESG uh, principles and initiatives to supply relationships, product design, customer expectations. So a great, great discussion as to how a, a global company like Boston Scientific is tackling this very important ESG issue. We're happy to have Catherine Unger at our Device Talks Boston meeting in May. And, uh, it's great to uh, be able to convey some of the ideas she expressed there here in this podcast. So I know you'll enjoy this conversation, but before we begin, I'd like to bring in our sponsor, Canon Virginia. I spoke with Ron Kurz. Ron is a senior director and general manager of business development and medical business at Canon Virginia. He was also on the panel at device talks Boston. So let's hear this interview that we did with Ron Kurz of Canon Virginia. Ron, could you tell us a bit about Canon, Virginia?
1: So, Canon, Virginia is the sole manufacturing location for Canon in the Americas. We're located in Newport News, Virginia. We offer several regional solutions. We do toner and cartridge manufacturing, we do reverse logistics and cartridge recycling for Canon products, but we also offer medical device manufacturing. We are ISO 13. 485 certified. We also have MD SAP. So we we offer this as a service to outside companies going forward. So we are really a solutions provider, essentially from cradle to grave. We can also use our entire Canon network. We have Canon financial services. We have technology from Canon Inc. We have a lot of value that we can bring to a customer here in Newport News.
0: That's great, Ron. If you'd like to find out more about Cannon Virginia right now, you can go to its website. It is com. That's cvi.cannon.com. We'll hear more from Ron Kurtz a little later in the podcast. Now let's begin our interview with Catherine Unger and Brad Sorensen of Boston Scientific. Well, Catherine Unger and Brad Sorensen, welcome to the podcast.
2: Thanks for having us, Tom. Thanks, Tom.
0: So, uh, Brad, you were once on the Device Talks Weekly Podcast, but this is your debut to the, the Boston Scientific Talks Podcast. And Catherine, is this your first podcast ever? It
3: is my first podcast ever, yes.
0: Fantastic. Great. Well, well, welcome to the podcast universe. It's great to have you. We're going to start off learning a little bit about you. We'll start with you, Catherine. Normally, I ask how someone found their way into the medtech industry, and there's a, a longer story before they've, they've found their... Their current place, but you're a fairly newcomer to the med tech industry. Is that correct? Tell us a bit about your background.
3: Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, definitely new to med tech. I was actually a high school Spanish teacher in the 1990s. Wow. And then, yeah, and then moved on to tax consulting at a big, then big five firm based in Houston. I was at PWC. And uh, so, did that for a handful of years. And then I ended up going back to school and then spent about 17 years between a diesel engine company and the ag industry in commercial and functional leadership roles. I did program management. I did general management. I led a a couple of businesses and then ended up in government relations, which was also a very interesting experience during COVID. Um, Uh. and And then as a Black woman, I've been involved in kind of diversity initiatives for 20 years. In a number of different capacities, we had affinity groups and diversity circles and business resource groups, and so I've gotten to see the evolution of DE and I over the last twenty years in a variety of different corporations, whether it was um, accounting, diesel engine, ag. So it's been an interesting journey there. And then for the last six or seven years, I've been on the board of an amazing Minneapolis-based not-for-profit that's focused on stopping the cycle of generational poverty. So I think. Maybe all of these experiences make me a little bit different from who you would normally see leading ESG for a company like Boston Scientific, but I think they also give me a little bit of a different perspective. And just to wrap that thought, I'll just say, at Boston Scientific, ESG is broad, and it really touches every part of our business. So it's a value driver for all of our stakeholders, from our investors to our customers, patients, our employees, and our communities. And I think ESG and our business success are really intertwined, not mutually exclusive. And I think my background gives me maybe some perspective on how to connect all of those dots.
0: Oh, absolutely. No, it's great to, to bring a perspective from other industries and, and give us a little look as to how we're matching up, but also just what we're, we're missing. Most of the people you're right, I talked to have been in MedTech for most of their career, and I think it's, it's a great choice. And Brad, I, I count you among them. But it's it's nice to hear how other industries are handling these similar challenges. So I do want to get into how ESG fits into Boston Scientific. Brad, I know you covered your background a bit on the previous podcast, but let's just go quickly from the uh, from the top. You've been with Boston Scientific for all or or most of your med tech career, right?
2: Yeah, all of my med tech career. Yeah, I've been with Boston Scientific since '96. So I guess yes, you can call me a veteran of this industry. You know, I've been in a variety of operations roles, predominantly operations-based roles. Uh, Today, I'm responsible for global operations for Boston Scientific, which includes not just plan, source, make, deliver, and then entire supply chain side of things, but also corporate technology, our IT organization, quality and regulatory affairs, and all of global real estate and facilities, which has a huge piece on, you know, in particular, the E side of ESG. Great. Well,
0: let's, uh, let's zoom out for a moment. Catherine, if you would kind of walk us through, you, you started to hit upon the, the origins and the meanings of ESG. I think for a lot of people, myself included, it's a, it was a, a term that we weren't really hearing until a few years ago. But if you break it down to environmental, social and governance, I mean, they're issues that we have been dealing with one way or the other for a very long time. Talk a bit about the origins of where we are today with ESG.
3: Well, I think you hit it. This is not new in in so many different pieces of what is the EBS and the G, but it's talking about them collectively. That really is an evolution in terms of, of ESG. We think about the the Milton Friedman approach to corporations, which focused solely on the investor. Where ESG now acknowledges that there are multiple stakeholders, including the investors, but expanded that to Other stakeholders. And so you think about the E, confronting, so so environment, just for the sake of spelling it out. And so environmental, confronting climate change and challenging ourselves to set ambitious science based goals and then measure our progress and meet those goals as we go. So that's the E part of this. And then the S piece which, as as you know, folks have been doing DE&I work, community outreach, all of that for some time, but also the quality piece of what we do and how we impact lives. So S, which is for us investing in our people and then empowering them to make a difference, impacting global health disparities and allowing us to improve lives around the world. For us, it's about transforming lives through the innovative medical solutions that we deliver, and the way in which we deliver those, the way in which we operate. So that's the S piece. And then the G, right, governance. We have always been a values-driven business. That's not new for Boston Scientific. That was true when Brad joined in 1996. And we've also always had that respect for human life and the desire to make products that people trust. And so proper governance um, ensures that, but also gives people confidence of that.
0: I'm back with Ron Kurz of Canon, Virginia. Ron, could you tell us how Canon, Virginia works with medical device
1: companies? So with medical device companies, we run the entire gamut of product development through asset management. So, everything from design firms, we'll do some support for design for manufacturing. We'll help them with their assembly. We also bring technology to the table. Canon is a leader in patents and technology. So, if there's some struggles that a customer may have, we could bring some technology to help solve that. Ultimately, we look to build as a contract manufacturer. And then another big piece of our business is the back end, right? Asset management. So what happens to the product after it's sold? We can do refurbishing. We can bring it back to help recycle. Basically that clean sustainability green feel. That's a, a very strong part of our DNA.
0: And does Canada, Virginia have any products or services or other news to share with us today?
1: Yeah. So right now, you know, Canada, Virginia is known for our consumer products, copiers, printers, cameras, et cetera. But now as we've approached into the contract manufacturing space for medical products. We offer more than just the contract manufacturing. Canon is one of the only companies to rank in the top five in U.S. patents for 37 consecutive years and number one amongst Japanese companies for 17 consecutive years. So we have an extensive patent portfolio that is open now to help solve some technical challenges that previously maybe were unable to be done by an existing company. On top of that, we can have access to an entire Canon global network, right? We have a call center here in Newport News, Virginia, so we can help set up a call center for your CAPAs, as an example. Uh, We have a financial services arm that can help fund some large orders. We also have service and support, boots on the ground in every major city. So that group can come into play whenever needed if you need service and support. So it's really like a one-stop shop. And finally,
0: Ron, how does Canon Virginia see the industry changing?
1: Right now, the industry is changing rapidly. It's becoming very competitive. Margins are shrinking. It's being very cost competitive, driven by insurance, et cetera. So the one thing that we do notice that there has been very little thought or consideration going into sustainability, right? On the consumer product side, you know, green is definitely everyone is well aware of. But in medical products, we don't seem to have that same thought, right? Right disposables are just that, disposables and large quantities of, and here in the United States, you don't see where they go. But as we look globally, we're seeing more and more of a problem in this sector. So I would imagine going forward that companies are going to need to start focusing from the initial design through the building of the product to make sure that the product can be recycled, can be broken down so it doesn't just go to landfills. So I think that as we fight Cost pressures, we also need to make sure that we're good environmental stewards going forward.
0: All right, that's great. Well, thank you, Canon Virginia, for sponsoring this episode of Boston Scientific Talks. And thank you for being part of Device Talks Boston. If you'd like more information about Canon Virginia, please go to its website, cvi.canon.com. So cvi.canon.com. As you said, we've been addressing these issues for a long time, but, but how important is it to come up with a classification of ESG, to have one thing that you can talk about, measures that you can create to ensure that all these important issues are being dealt with front and center and not just sort of an add-on to all these individual business reports. And I'm speaking not for Boston Scientific, but for other companies as well.
3: So you can't improve what you can't measure. And so you need to be able to measure your progress. You're also not going to improve what you're not focusing on. And so there's got to be the right focus on the progress that we're making. And while a company like Boston Scientific has been setting measurable goals and holding ourselves accountable to that progress over time, when we think about how we as a society have now understood the impact of environmental and the importance of everything under the social, I think There has been a push to collectively bring all of those under one umbrella for the focus and in order to help drive change, not just in one company, but across companies, not just in one industry, but across industries, so that we can all make that collective progress together. So I think it's really to make sure that everyone is focused on it and not just companies like Boston Scientific, who've been making it a priority for quite some time.
0: That's great. Brad, give us a little history as to the companies. Experience in this space. I mean, obviously, the environmental concerns aren't new to you. You can talk a bit about your efforts in carbon neutrality. I know you've uh, you've been focusing on renewable electricity in in areas. How has ESG played into Boston Scientific over the time that you've been there?
2: Sure, we have been on this path for quite some time. I mean, I remember back, but it's about a decade ago. I'm going to miss the actual year, but when we really, I would say, embarked on no kidding around, getting to actionable, real, transparent goals and accountability. You know, at that point, we went out and said, hey, we're going to be carbon neutral within our entire network by 2030. Mm. And and there were people, even internal of the company at the time, saying, what are you doing, right? Why are you out there saying that publicly? But I, I think that unless you set those clear, actionable goals, you don't start to make progress. Now, those were pretty bold targets, but we had plans on how we would get after that, probably not all the way to zero. But we understood at least the first big hunks, and so you know, if you think of fast forward where we are today, right? Today, 100% of all our electricity in the U.S. and Europe comes from renewable sources. Wow, 76% across the entire global network, and we're on track to be 100% renewable electricity by 2027, and on track for zero carbon footprint within our manufacturing network. And so, we've made great strides there. We've made good strides in DE and I. And particularly since Catherine's come in, we've made uh, uh, great strides in governance. Now it's pivoting to the next piece. So all of that is, you know, you hear scope one, scope two, and and this type of terminology. What we own within our plants, what we control within our network, that's scope one and two. We're on good track there. We were the first medical device company to commit to carbon neutrality in that space. And similarly, we were the first company to commit to getting to science-based targets. And we've done that as well. Now we have to extend a lot of this into our supply base. So we've built a good process within the organization. I think that uh, we've done that by using different tactics in different areas. You know, one size doesn't fit all when you're going after, you know, say environmental reduction, environmental carbon reduction. You know, we've got plants all over the globe. The sun shines a lot in Costa Rica. And there's good hydroelectric power. So we can use that as an option. That's not a great option in the plains of Minneapolis where it's you know snowy and cloudy. So we have to use a different approach here and a different approach in Ireland. But what I think what we've done is we've set bold targets, put in place a construct, and then uh, allowed you know different regions and areas to really go after that. The last thing I would say, Tom, is I think we put a good process in place around this. We call it c three, it doesn't matter what you call it, but we focus in order on cutting energy usage, converting to renewable sources and then compensating where necessary, but against setting real tangible goals, I think has been the fundamental uh, uh, key for us.
0: And are you getting that renewable energy? I imagine it's from outside generators of energy, but are you also creating facilities on your property, solar panels and whatnot to achieve that?
2: Yeah, we've got both. I mean, where we can, so places like Puerto Rico has a full uh, solar grid on its roof, actually in in a lot next door, Costa Rica has a lot of solar capabilities. Malaysia, we're able to utilize some geothermic. So there's different opportunities in different areas. We generate essentially as much as we can internally, and then the rest we will get from, say, power purchase agreements or that type of thing, where we will buy our power from renewable sources versus, you know, petroleum sources, et cetera. Interesting.
0: So I I want to explore the how you're engaging suppliers on this in, in a little bit, but, but Catherine, can you Kind of tell me how your efforts and ESG efforts are sort of fitting in across the corporate layers at Boston Scientific. Are you working with each business individually? Do they have representatives, ESG representatives in each business? Are you sort of going from business to business and and managing? How is it fitting into the, the corporate structure at Boston Scientific?
3: Well, I'll say it's a timely question because as any company, we have a strategy planning process and an AOP process. And so we're starting that that off at this point in the year now. And as we mentioned, I, I joined the company just at the end of last year. So we're standing up this function as we go and trying to design things that are appropriate for our business, but also reflect functional excellence. And we also want it to be a two-way process, not us telling the business, this is what we're going to do, but understanding what's happening already. Because as we said, ESG didn't start six months ago when we stood up our function. It started quite some time ago within Boston Scientific in so many different ways. So we are undergoing a few steps at once. One, learning all the amazing stuff that's happening everywhere in the organization and what the needs are and what the demands are in the E and the S and the G space. For example, you've got the European Corporate Sustainability Reporting Directive that's coming, right? So what do we need to do to be prepared for that? We've got all of these pieces, good work happening in the different divisions and regions. I will be honest, Brad's organization is leading with great work, both supply facing and internally facing in terms of how we are reducing our environmental footprint. So just one, getting our hands around all the amazing work happening, and then uh, working with the businesses and the divisions to set priorities together. I just don't think even DE&I doesn't report into ESG, it reports into our HR function. So we need to partner with them, maybe challenge them on, hey, can we do a little bit more, but we're already doing so well in that space. So for us, it's a partnership. We play that role. We also play the role of pushing and challenging and making sure nothing's falling by the wayside. For example, ensuring that while we're all running full speed ahead to work on scope three with our suppliers, we're not forgetting about EU CSRD and what the requirements are going to be there. So it's it's a dance but it's one that we're doing, I think, quite well. And we have leadership support from the top down, which is, I think, required in a company the size of Boston Scientific. And I do not report to Brad, so I'm not buttering him up for a bonus or whatnot. (laughs) But I will say Brad is an example of a leader who has so much responsibility, but who has taken the time to make ESG a priority and to understand the metrics and the targets and the commitments and how we're doing against all of those. So I'm fortunate to be in a good spot here at Boston Scientific as we're standing up our function because of all of those things.
0: Interesting. I should have known this before we started talking. Were you the first vice president of ESG at Boston Scientific or did you take over for someone else?
3: For better, for worse. Yes, I am. <laughs>
0: Well, I think it's probably for better. I would think if I were running a business there that I would appreciate it. Someone who's focused on creating the best metal device possible. Obviously, I would think many of them have the intentions to follow ESG recommendations and make improvements there, but they're very focused on their creation of making a device that perhaps that does get put aside a bit. I would think that it's helpful to have someone like you come in and, and sort of help them see the value in that and to keep that ESG concerns front and center. Is it, has it been your impression being the first ESG vice president there that there's a an openness to it and, and almost maybe even a relief?
3: Absolutely. And I think a couple of things. One, as we've been having discussions with employee leadership teams along with their executive member or whatever, I think there's been both a pleasant surprise to even understand how much our customers are asking about this and how much our employees, what piece of talent acquisition, the role that this plays in, in that respect. So I think there was an awareness, but I think the last several months have really helped amplify that. And the amount of pull we're getting from just all of our stakeholders, I think, supports the fact that that we needed to, whether it was me or someone else, we needed to stand up this function. And as, uh, as I keep hearing, the goalposts actually keep moving a little bit, right, in terms of what was good enough yesterday is not even table stakes anymore. And so we we constantly have to elevate our game in order to stay relevant, as long as we're doing it in a way that makes sense for our business and for our stakeholders. So we're not chasing something, but at the same time, we're not treading water or becoming complacent. And I think there was some need in the organization to help determine direction and priorities and also amplify our message of what we're already doing and doing very well.
0: Right. And and I just want to, before we get into the suppliers, I think the environmental intentions are are clear and you folks are doing a great job there. What specifically falls under social and governance? I imagine a lot of DEI falls under social, but I'm sure there's a lot more there as well. So what are maybe two of the three top issues under under S and G that our listeners should know about?
3: Absolutely. So employee engagement, right? Our employees are our most important asset, right? So that falls under the S, Also, quality and the uh, outcomes of our patients, that falls under the S, Mm -hmm. the communities in which we operate, where we want to continue to support the health equity and engagement work that we do, trying to provide access to more people and improve lives. So everything we do that touches lives falls under that S, if that's helpful. Mm -hmm. And then the G is general regulation and making sure we're meeting all regulatory requirements associated with the E and the S, whether that's coming from EU, whether that's coming from U.S., or whether that's coming from any other region. And then there are all kinds of smaller regulations that you wouldn't imagine. There, there are modern slavery regulations that you'll see in the U.K. and in Australia, things like that. All of that falls under the G, and every company is required to meet those regulations, and, and it's important to us to be prepared with the right information at the right time.
0: Wow. People often hear the E and stop listening after that, and don't realize how much more follows under with the S and the G. Brian, let's talk about again how you mentioned earlier on. You want to work with your your suppliers. Their footprint is is connected to your footprint, so you know you want to make sure that they're contributing positively to what you're trying to do. What are you going through in terms of vetting and trying to understand how others are approaching ESG issues? Talk a bit about the process and share some successes that you might have had.
2: Yeah. so. I would say it goes beyond we want them to participate we We absolutely have to have them participate. If we look at our overall footprint, the majority of that actually comes from our supply base. the act of them manufacturing components up to shipping them to us, getting them in our docks and so it's an absolute requirement for us to get to where we want to have them on board with us. I would say that for the most part, we've been pretty successful with that. there is There's certainly a focus for many of our suppliers, in particular the larger ones who have their own ESG efforts going on, right? They may sell components or products into parts of the world and are seeing some of the same requirements we have. So those spaces have been easier. But, you know, going back a, a few years ago, we started to just simplistically put into our all of our supplier agreements that they had to have a sustainability plan. You know, that was kind of step one. Have a plan. We're not even gonna necessarily vet your plan, but we want you to have one. Now we've started to pivot toward now what are your actual accountable numbers, et cetera. As you know, right, as a medical device manufacturer and as a provider of you know products that have, you know, big clinical implications, we have to make sure that first and foremost we are picking suppliers that can meet our stringent quality requirements. But we're adding to it hey you have to do it in a cost effective way and you have to do it in a you know environmentally positive way as well going back a couple of years i can remember sitting with a supplier who said hey you know this is going to take your costs up do you want us to be cheaper and better quality or do you want us to focus on our sustainability efforts and it seems like a real pandering to the audience kind of response but I, you know i said yes we well, need to do both and by the way if you drive your business in a more sustainable way It actually should reduce your costs and my costs. So specifically, what we've really started to do is we've kicked off an effort that we call ideal product flow, which is really focusing on making sure that not only are we building products, but sourcing components geographically from different sustainable sources so that we can reduce the footprint of moving stuff around the globe. So we can get more plugged in from a manufacturer of the component to user of the component space. And then as suppliers have gotten on board with more sustainable efforts, more plugged into what we're doing, we've actually started to embed them earlier in the process so that as we think about designing products with sustainability or, you know, reduced carbon footprint in mind, we can have those suppliers on board early on. So for the most part, I would say that the majority of suppliers have been on board. They may not know how to do it. They've said, yeah, hey, emotionally, we're light, we're there. What do you need? And I think that's an area we can actually help help them some.
0: And Catherine, do you consider the S and the G part of ESG? We talked a lot about in the environmental, and that seems to be a big part of where you could find benefits from those relations with suppliers. Do you look at the entire ESG spectrum when looking at suppliers as well? Do you ask about those things? Or, or how does that play into, into supplier decisions?
3: So two things on that. One, just to add to Brad's point, I think we also have credibility where he says we can help. We have credibility because we've done some of that work ourselves internally. We're not just asking our suppliers to do it, but we've done it. And I think that that helps with that. And then in terms of how we select our suppliers, I do not work on the sourcing team. So I want to be really clear there <laughs> and, uh, and and let, let Brad and his team answer that question. But I can say we do have a, supplier diversity program. And I do know that that those are considerations that, that we make when determining our suppliers. And I think we've gotten even an increasing focus in that space. But Brad would know the history on that one more than I would.
0: Okay. Excellent. Let's look to the the other part of the medical device business, the the customers, the patients, the physicians, the hospitals. How is ESG coming into play? And I'll hand this off to to I think either of you because I think you could go two different ways. We could let's talk about materials first. How are ESG concerns playing into your work with customers? Are you – are you, I imagine part of your efforts is to ensure that how you're delivering the products is the most uh, environmentally efficient, that you're working with them as well in terms of recycling. How, how does ESG look moving forward, again, as you're selling devices to hospitals, to physicians?
2: Yeah, I'm, I, I can take that. It's become a much bigger piece of the entry point. All of our customers, or you know, whether it's hospitals or caregivers, small OBLs, or or whoever, are starting to say, "Hey, what are you, Boston Scientific? You're a part of our Scope Three. What are you doing to reduce your footprint?" Right? And we've got a good story there around our Scope One and Two. But then the discussion, just as you said, Tom, turns to things like recyclability. It turns to things like packaging. Now they're all in this business. They understand, you know, packaging is a great example if you go to the grocery store, you're starting to see more and more packaging without any print on it, just a standard white box. That's great. But there are a lot of nuances to our products that are absolutely required, right? Our products are sterile by nature. Hence, we can't just switch to a, you know, little simple paper box and put stuff in because we have to be able to sterilize it It Has to remain sterile. You don't want a, you know, drug-coated stent put in you that, that isn't sterile. Our products, many of them by design and frankly by clinical application, are single use. Again, if we're going to put a pacemaker in you, when you're done with it, we're not taking it out and putting in somebody else. Right. So, those are the confines within which we need to live. But that doesn't mean we can't do things to improve the size of the packaging, which takes down the cost, not just the cost, but the carbon footprint of delivering it. It takes down the amount of waste that goes into landfills. We can uh, reduce overpackaging. We can sterilize product in a pouch versus in a final box. And so all of these things that we're doing internally reduce that footprint. But to go back to your original question, a lot of that is being required and asked for by our customer base, we're there saying, "Hey, okay, understand that mm-hmm. you know your packaging needs to be sterilized. However, we we want to see your plan to move to fully recyclable packages. Understand that that recycling might be different than just you know I get to throw it in my in my recycling box. But we got to figure out how to recycle. You've got to tell us how to even though it's a single use device. What is your plan for breaking down the component?" into aspects that might be recyclable like the the plastics or the metals. And so our customer base is absolutely asking for it. It's becoming part of tenders. In Europe for example, it is in every single tender. Tell us your cost, tell us your service level commitment, tell us your ESG game plan. It's become the same as delivery quality and cost from a lot of customers' minds.
3: And I would add a couple of quick points to that if that's okay. I also think we've got the piece of our environmental footprint that the customer sees, which is the recycling and the packaging. And so it's important that we, and the IFUs, the, the information for use documents. So it's important that we make progress on that piece. But what I've learned over the past six, seven months of talking with our doctors and, and other physicians, is they're not aware of what that the rest of that looks like, the, the piece that, that we're working on, on the supply side. So it's important to do both. And so the message I'm learning is when we share how much we've done to reduce our own carbon footprint and the work we're doing to start on the supply piece, when, when you think about our science-based targets, 67% of our target is the part that Brad talked about before with our suppliers, right? And so, you know, and and 90% total is, is scope three. So the packaging, the IFUs, the recycling, that's a piece of what people see, but they don't see the whole rest of it. And so what I'm learning is we've got to do a better job of talking about all the amazing work that Brad's team and others are doing behind the scenes that no one ever sees, because that's a big piece of our carbon footprint. In parallel with taking care of everything that Brad just talked about on the packaging and the product development and the IFU side. And the last thing I'll say is well, we can't do it alone as Boston Scientific, right? At some point, we're going to have to have uh, industry wide approaches to how we do some of these things.
0: That's a great point. How about on the, uh, on the equity side or the social side? Are you engaging with? I know there's a Close the Gap program at, at Boston Scientific, there's a lot of work being done there already. Are you plugging into that, or are you reaching out to customers and hospitals to sort of understand the equity issues? How is ZSG, Boston scientific zsG program plugging into that part of the customer experience?
3: On the customer side, i mean you're you're just you're telling our story for us because I've <laughs> spoken to Camille before, so you're 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 very familiar with this, but I think you know our Close the gap initiative has has existed for over twenty years, I think. And it's evolved and grown to meet the needs and and to address disparities in terms of health. And so, yes, we are plugged into that. And in fact, we were talking to that team, our uh, GIE, Global Inclusion and Equity team today. Internally, my team had a a one-hour session with them. So we're very plugged up. And that really makes the point, again, for us that ESG can't be effective as a silo, right? We're a small team. Small but mighty. I keep telling my team, you know. <laughs> and so we have to have a whole of company ESG mindset, and we all have to have ownership of and accountability for our targets. And again, I'm I'm really fortunate here at Boston Scientific because even before I joined we had an ESG scorecard, our bonus, 15% of it, and this is public, you can look at our proxy or whatever, but 15% of our bonus is tied to our metrics, employee engagement, 5%, our DE&I targets, 5%, and our environmental targets, 5%. So all of our employees had, whether they knew it or not, had 15% of all of our bonuses tied to whether we're meeting and achieving these metrics. And so I just Again, feel fortunate that I'm at a company that's already off and running. And now I just have to keep that momentum going and maybe help focus it here and there.
2: The last time we talked, I talked about, you know, some of our focus in smart automation and Mm -hmm. how we're thinking about reducing the labor load, if you will, in our space, which gives us better resiliency, et cetera. I'm not going to go into all that again, but our world, there's such a focus on quality, right? We have no margin for error, but through the lens of ESG. As we have invested in dramatic increases in automation and visual inspection capabilities in parallel, we are also investing in what we call the GROW program, which I I think I mentioned as well, but is really about upskilling our employees, right? Creating opportunities them to move to the next level jobs into more technical roles or different roles rather than replacing them. And and I bring that up because, you know, Catherine talks about creating a whole company-wide perspective. We do fundamentally think of this as part of our ESG activity, and it really doesn't impact the E as much as it impacts the S side of this. A majority of our direct labor today are multicultural. And if we just said, hey, we're going to automate some of these jobs and that's going to, you know, potentially eliminate those, that sends us in exactly the wrong way, Mm. but we can use this to improve our supply chain, and by the way, advance, call it the S or the equity side internally by providing an opportunity to fundamentally upskill these folks. And let me tell you, right, when you talk about, hey, we want to automate this line, we're going to drive a visual inspection. And by the way, that translates to you getting different job capabilities, new training, and a potential to grow your career. Nobody fights you on that. You know, they say, how soon can we get this? Because I would love to have a, you know, bigger, better paying job with, uh, you know, more responsibility. You know, nearly everybody says that. That's not just greenwashing of this for us. It's really become fundamental of how we make decisions. And I think it's a great example of how we've embedded ESG into into our overall thought process. Catherine, anything to
0: uh, finish up with that? That's a great one to end on. Anything to add to Brad's point there?
3: I love the GROW program. It's uh, it's one of those wonderful nuggets of excellence that existed before I got here. And you can learn from that and then scale it. It started off in one of our Ireland facilities as a result of some, I guess, voice of employee type work that they mm-hmm. did there. And now we've scaled it. And it's at, I don't know, Brad is better than I do, but multiple facilities globally. And it's one of the most, uh, it's one of the programs I'm really most proud of because it's helping our facility-level employees continue to advance and continue to create better lives for themselves and their families.
0: Fantastic. Great. Well, we've covered a lot of ground, but you folks have a a lot of work to do there. Are you doing a lot of work? Appreciate you taking the time to updating us on Boston Scientific's progress in ESG. Thanks for uh, joining us on the podcast.
2: Thanks, Tom. Good to see
0: you.
3: Thanks for the opportunity. Nice to meet you.
0: Well, that is a wrap. Thanks so much for joining us on this episode of the Boston Scientific Talks podcast. Thank you, Cannon Virginia, for sponsoring this episode. Very much appreciated. And thanks, of course, to our guests, Catherine Unger and Brad Sorensen. Please do us the favor of sharing this podcast on social media. When you do, please tag myself, Tom Salemi of Device Talks, and of course, tag Boston Scientific as well. We'd all love to be part of those conversations. If you'd like to catch future episodes of Boston Scientific Talks, please subscribe to the Device Talks podcast network. It's available on any major podcast application, and you'll receive future episodes of Boston Scientific Talks and our Device Talks weekly podcasts as well as our other great podcasts. So again, subscribe to the Device Talks Podcast Network on any major podcast application. Once again, that is a wrap. Thanks so much for joining us on the Boston Scientific Talks Podcast. We're already working on another great episode that we'll be sending to you very soon. Take care, everyone.